The following seniors' talk was given by Susan Sayan Wilder. Sayan began meditating in 1974, first with the nascent Insight Meditation Society, before discovering Zen practice several years later. In 2011, she served as chief disciple at Zen Mountain Monastery. She has spent the last 30 years working as a clinical psychologist and now lives close to the monastery along with her husband Sanjo, who is also a Sangha member. She delivered the talk from her home during the summer 2020 training period. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website, zmm.org donate. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is a huge experiment. A 70-year-old woman giving, offering a talk over cyberspace. It's wonderful to see you all. And just remarkable to be gathering together physician in this manner. I certainly could never have imagined this. Could you? <laughs> so I hope everyone is safe and well. And I would like to take a moment to thank our teachers, Shugam Roshi, Hojin Sensei, and Hogan Sensei, for their responsiveness, flexibility, and hearts in making the Dharma available in this way during these painful and difficult times. And I would like to express so much gratitude and love to the monastics and full-time residents who have given so much in pulling this all together and making it happen. You have truly kept the lamp shining brightly and it is a blessed offering to so many of us. So thank you. My name is Sayan, and I am a senior lay student. I am here today offering this talk at the request of my teacher, Shugam Roshi. If this talk is at all helpful to you in the smallest of ways, please dedicate whatever good you may receive to all sentient beings. I am subject to aging. I cannot avoid aging. I am subject to ill health. I cannot avoid illness. I am sure to die. I cannot avoid death. I must be separated and parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. Everyone and everything that I love will change. My only true possessions are my actions and I cannot escape their consequences. Whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become the heir. These five remembrances are from the Buddhist discourse, the Pujahatana Sutra translated as subjects for contemplation. These are the truths we are all born into. Class, wealth, race, gender, circumstance, offer no protection from the impact of these truths. The remembrances are five facts regarding life's fragility and the reality of our true inheritance. 
The Buddha advises us that these truths are to be reflected upon frequently by all of us. When the pandemic arrived, this teaching of the Buddha was sent to me by my Dharma sister Jisho, a senior student of our Sangha. A few weeks into this quarantine, my 70-year-old husband got sick with COVID virus. I was as frightened and terrified as I can ever remember being. I turned towards and took refuge in our practice and these five remembrances. I chanted these teachings every morning before I got out of bed. Never before was the imperative of this practice stronger, and I took refuge in it, body and soul. There is a famous, frequently quoted comment by Trungpa Rinpoche. The bad news is you are falling through the air. Nothing to hang on to. No parachute. The good news is there's no ground. Could it be any clearer? Does anything bring this no ground to the forefront more starkly than these five remembrances? When we keep these five remembrances in the forefront of our heart-mind, it is obvious there is no ground, no place to land. In our tradition, Zen or Chan, the emphasis is on Zazen, seated meditation, silent illumination. Much has been made of Zen being the school of spontaneous insight, seen into the nature of mind outside of words or letters. I suspect that over the decades of the transmission of Zen teachings through our culture, something actually got lost or mutated in this message. Something that suggests that studying, contemplating and reflecting are things to be avoided or even looked down upon. In fact, the Buddha taught that without the correct view, meditation and right conduct will not come to full fruition. It is crucial meditation and conduct are accompanied by the correct view if the Dharma is to fully come to life. Cultivating the correct view and developing an understanding of the teachings is a crucial part of training and practice. Can you imagine going on a trip without any idea of where you were going? Taking our seat on our cushion, encountering our mind is a trip none of us are prepared for. If we leave on our journey without a map, we may very easily get lost and can end up in some strange and uncomfortable places, not having a clue how we ended up there. Or we might just end up going round and round and round in circles. The view is our practice map, and it is essential we be familiar with this map or we are likely to get lost in our practice. In the traditional teachings, it is taught there are wisdoms that bring the view or the map alive and clear. This view will guide us and support us on the journey we are taking. If we just study, the knowledge remains dry and lifeless. If we just meditate, 
we frequently get lost as we have no idea what this nature of mind is that we are encountering. So the teachings tell us we must listen and study, contemplate and reflect, even as we engage our meditation practice. This encouragement to take up the practice of cultivating correct view is taught as the three wisdoms. The first of the three wisdoms is the wisdom of hearing and studying as we listen to our teachers and study texts of the teachings. This is how understanding arises. We are all familiar with how we learn. Listening to our teachers, reading books, watching videos, this is the first wisdom. For us, in particular, encountering the Dharma in the West, where our culture emphasizes individuality, self-importance, greed, and getting what we want, it is exceedingly important to educate ourselves about what the teachings of the Dharma actually are. We need to understand what is actually real rather than what we think and feel is real. We must familiarize ourselves with these teachings, or more likely than not, we will perpetuate the confusion that already exists in our minds, even as we are practicing on the cushion. After listening and studying comes the wisdom of contemplation. Reflecting on the teachings, really allowing them to saturate our mind. Contemplation is mulling things over, making the connections, getting it clear for ourselves. Most importantly, contemplation is when something theoretical or cognitive becomes integrated. When we can actually start to feel it, we begin to experience it in our lives. Contemplation is the bridge between intellectual understanding and integrating what we are studying. We begin to know it in our bones. Through the third wisdom, this integration becomes realization. We know what is true now with confidence. Insight as to the nature of reality arises from within us. The wisdom that arises from within meditation leads us to experience for ourselves the aliveness, the truth of the teachings. Faith transforms into confidence. Our own experience transforms as we discover for ourselves the jewel within us, which has always been here, but which has been obscured due to our confusion of experiencing the world from a self-centered point of view. Contemplating the, these five remembrances is a gift. It's a gift that encourages us to look deeply at what is real and true. Wake up, these remembrances poke at us. What are we doing? Time is passing swiftly. Very few folks want to turn toward these uncomfortable, inconvenient truths. What good is it to think about these facts? 
Why is the Buddha encouraging us to turn towards and contemplate these truths frequently? If we each look at what drove us here, we can all agree something was and is amiss. This world of confusion and samsara, the world we all live in day to day with ourselves, families, co-workers. This world has strong pulls. The world of our confused mind feels like everything is solid and real. Everything is independent and unrelated. We all yearn so deeply for what we don't have, and usually we don't want what we do have. We are all in the grip of delusion, not seeing things as they are. Yet within us, something is itching. Something just doesn't feel right. This dis-ease is samsara. This is the world we all live in until we encounter dharma. This precious dharma that we are all studying this week and taking up offers us each the opportunity to awaken from our unknowing deep sleep. These five remembrances are simply the realities of life, the reality of being a human being. These teachings are not depressing. They are just calling out, hey, hey you, hey me. The world is round, not flat. By the way, we will age, we will get sick, we will die, and everything, absolutely everything is changing. And the only thing we can count on is cause and effect. When asked why people should follow the teachings, Dilko Kensei Rinpoche reportedly replied, it makes the best of a really bad situation. Tilka Organ, a renowned meditation teacher of the 20th, 20th century, is quoted as saying, the bad news is the good news. This is the blessing of our birth of precious human birth. It is what makes us different from other beings. The real advantage is using this recognition as a path to freedom. If we never acknowledge suffering, we remain stuck in samsara. So these teachings offer us freedom, freedom within our present day-to-day -day lives. They are freeing, because if we hold these truths in our heart, they motivate us. Why would we stop, pause, and reflect inward when the pull of the mundane world is so strong? If something wasn't amiss in our lives, none of us would be using our precious time to spend in retreat. Contemplating these five remembrances is the key to feeding the tree that blossoms within our hearts, minds, and lives. The fruit of the tree that blossoms within us is our innate wisdom and compassion. If we contemplate these truths and bring this understanding to our meditation cushion, the transformation of our minds, hearts, and therefore our lives is profound. 
These teachings offer us the possibility of living a life of generosity with peace of heart and connectedness. So let's look at these five remembrances. And do try to stay in your body as you listen and contemplate on them. Please try to take each one in deeply. They are speaking to each and every one of us. This is completely personal. The first remembrance is, I am subject to aging. I cannot avoid aging. Take a minute here. How old were you 10 years ago? How quickly did it pass? How old are you today? Blink and tomorrow you will be 10 years older. I turned 70 years old this year. 70. How can that be? My body is telling me I am 70. My mind is quite perplexed. 10 years ago was a blink of an eye. If you honestly contemplate the truth you are aging, how might your actions and decisions perhaps be different? 70 used to seem so old to me. I look at the youngins in our sangha and in my life. I wonder, do you have a clue? When I was younger, I never ever would even look at an older person without imagining they were anything but an alien. How is it for you? The second remembrance is I am subject to ill health. I cannot avoid illness. This pandemic (coughs) brought this truth home to all who might have had any complacency regarding our health. Can we contemplate the truth that we are subject to illness and feel in our bodies and minds the impact this has had on our lives? For me, this pandemic created an intimate relationship with fear and unimaginable terror. When my husband was sick, I reflected deeply on this. This is the nature of things, I would say to myself. What is it I'm so fearful of? Why exactly am I even practicing? How do I practice this? This is not about not feeling these sensations or denying our thoughts and experiences. We need to turn towards our experience and try to keep our connection. So regardless of the body being sick, we recognize our true nature is untouched. Can we connect with this truth? Feeling fear and terror is just a part of being a human being. Seeing into the nature of these feelings while allowing them is where our practice and freedom lie. The third remembrance is, I am sure to die. I cannot avoid death. How many of us truly take time to reflect on this regularly? Take a moment, close your eyes. 
Go deep inside. Take in this remembrance. I cannot avoid death. I am sure to die. What comes up for you? What if you knew your death was tomorrow or your next breath? Would you live differently? What is most important? Are you truly aware that this body, this vessel is on loan from the four elements? This body, that which we identify with, is not a permanent loan. It has an expiration date. This body is not ours to keep. It isn't even us. And its expiration date is truly unknown. So when the body returns to that which it is borrowed from, who exactly is it that dies? Where does this mind go to or return to? The Dharma offers us an answer to this question. In particular, our training and practice lead us to realizing for ourselves the answer to this question. This is the gift we are being offered right here, right now in our training. The fourth remembrance is, I must be separated and parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. Everyone and everything that I love will change. Impermanence in capital letters is the fundamental law of reality. When the Karmapa was asked, what is the core of the Buddhist teaching? His reply was simply impermanence. The Buddha is quoted as saying, of all the perceptions we have, the single most important is the perception of impermanence. If we look closely, we see that everything is constantly changing like the weather, our thoughts, feelings, sensations, all is changing moment to moment. Everything of the phenomenal world is impermanent, having no independent existence. We have heard repeatedly in the teachings, like waves in the ocean, everything is changing. Our grasping, our clinging, our attachments, they make our minds small, our hearts and lives tight. If we contemplate regularly that everything, absolutely everything, is impermanent, then our reactivity softens. If we are having a difficult time with ourselves or with someone else, we can pause and say, wow, I'm having a difficult experience. 
And I know this will pass like waves on the ocean because everything changes. Are we able to find stability enough in our mind to press the pause button before we react? Can we practice these emotions, sensations, and feelings and not get hijacked by them? Can we take our thoughts a little less seriously and keep our hearts open? Can we make each wave that arises within us an opportunity to become friends with our fear, with our anxiety and our terror? If we can relax, becoming intimate and befriending all we wish to run from, we develop courage, confidence, and resilience as we begin to connect with who we really are. That's what this practice is doing. This is how our lives and habits begin to change. By contemplating impermanence, our minds soften and, be, and we become more spacious. But it's important to remember that no one is saying we should like this truth. How can we like that everyone and everything I love and hold dear will be separate, I will be separated from? This teaching does not mean to be disconnected from those we love. It does mean to feel everything and everyone deeply and connectedly. Zen practice is about feeling it all, being connected deeply to it all, without grasping, without clinging, without denying, without repressing, without turning away from any of it, connecting to it all, feeling everything, experiencing for ourselves this one vast body with nothing, no one excluded or left out. A body, a heart, the size of the universe. The reality is, though, that most people spend their lives looking away from this truth, denying its reality, grasping, clinging ever so tightly, most people spend their time erecting elaborate sandcastles everywhere in spite of the inevitable and unavoidable tide rushing in. By hearing, contemplating, and meditating on impermanence, our tight grip loosens and our relationship to everything and everyone, most particularly to ourselves, changes. Contemplate on this remembrance. Everything I love and hold dear will change and I will be separated from it all. Take it into your body. Let yourself feel this truth. Sit a moment with this reality. This teaching on change and impermanence is encouraging us to turn to what is true to not cling to the fabrications of our mind. Knock, knock, impermanence at the door. Go away, we say. Sorry, say the remembrances. 
We are reality. It doesn't really matter if you want us to go away or not. We will just keep knocking. And if you don't open the door, it doesn't really matter because the door will collapse under our weight. If we ignore this fundamental teaching, the result will be a profound unpreparedness when inevitably the tide comes in and all our carefully made, so very exquisite sandcastles get swept away. Regardless of our feelings, all of our sandcastles will disappear. These teachings offer us the opportunity to train our minds and open our hearts, enabling us to live an authentic and connected life. By cultivating acceptance and whatever shows up, feeling all our feelings, allowing every bit of it in, the heart of Kanzeon is cultivated the heart of compassion and connectedness. As we open to and realize how impermanent this life is and how interconnected we all are, generosity and kindness arise within us. These teachings encourage us to love, love deeply with no boundaries or walls, a boundless heart connecting everywhere to everyone and everything. The fifth and final remembrance is, my only true possessions are my actions and I cannot escape their consequences. Whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become the heir. The teachings tell us that when we die, the only thing we can take with us is our actions, like a shadow follows the body. Can we appreciate the profundity of this reality? Padmasambhava, the great teacher who brought Buddhism to Tibet, said, my view is as vast as the sky, my conduct as fine as barley flour. Our view of interconnectedness needs to be as vast as the sky. And everything, everything we say or do fundamentally matters. We are all deeply, unequivocally connected. Therefore, every single action, every single word matters. My view is as vast as the sky. My conduct is fine as barley flour. In the text I've been studying the past few months, the teacher quotes the Buddha saying to his disciples, take refuge in karma. Our actions, our thoughts, words, and deeds are our refuge. Let us deeply reflect and contemplate on this teaching. Take it into our body. Our karma is our refuge. Every thought, word, and action, thoughts do fuel action, 
results in a seed that goes into this fertile field that is our life. What is it we exactly wish to harvest? Do we actually think if we plant lemons, we will get peaches? So if we are sure we planted a peach tree and a lemon tree shows up, perhaps we should reflect and investigate what we thought we were planting and what we were actually planting. Are they the same? Perhaps the story we have told ourselves about who our wonderful self is is actually not the real story. The fruit that appears is evidence of the seed planted. The fruit that appears is evidence of the seed planted. Our harvest, our life is the fruit. The fruit of the field we have created intentionally or unintentionally. We need only to look at our relationships for evidence of the real story. I heard a teaching on karma that struck me deeply. The teacher was conveying how if we truly pay attention, nothing is actually random. It appears a tree just happened to grow in the middle of a field, but actually a bird ate the seed from a tree and then the bird pooped the seed out, and the tree grew in the field. So is the tree there randomly? Not really. If we look closely at our life, we can begin to actually see the seeds that we unthinkingly pooped out and planted without knowing what we were doing. Recognizing this is a wake-up call to take responsibility for how we are creating our life. This is a motivation for us to pay attention, truly, meticulously pay attention. Waking up to our minds is the most important activity we can do. When we actually wake up to the truth of cause and effect, it is stunningly transformative. Instead of blaming events or circumstances or the deeds of others, we see how crucial it is to take full responsibility. Before finishing, I would like to take a moment to bring our awareness to include the teachings on regret and atonement. For me, this is a very important and powerful aspect of karma, cause and effect. The teachings say The only good thing about wrongdoing is that it can be purified. This is such an important teaching for me personally, and I think for many of us. We have mostly gone through our lives sleepwalking, stepping on other people's toes, bumping into the others, saying hurtful things, doing harmful things. It can be overwhelming when the dust starts to settle. And we actually start to see and feel what karma is about. Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche teaches, I quote, negative actions are compounded phenomena, so they must be impermanent, he goes on to say. Therefore, as the Buddha said, there can be no fault so serious 
that is not and cannot be purified. Regret and atonement are actions of purification. Truly acknowledging and feeling remorse for our hurtful words or actions, then being generous, creating good, doing no harm, really, really matters. This is not a casual affair. This is our life. At the same time, we all make mistakes, and we really need to recognize that these mistakes, no matter how awful, do not define us and condemn us to hell. Quite the contrary, we can atone. We can change and do better. And in the process, our hearts soften and our lives fundamentally transform. It is never, ever too late for regret and atonement. These five remembrances help us to loosen our hold on our solidified, reified self so we can explore who we truly are and what really is the true nature of reality. The truth we can discover is we are not individuals separate and alone. We are all profoundly and thoroughly interconnected and not one of us breathes, stands, or acts alone. Please, let me remind each and every one of us, these five remembrances are not nihilistic. They are everythingistic. They are not depressing. They are liberating. They help us appreciate the exquisiteness and fragility of all that we have and all that we are. Over and over again, the teachings encourage us to come home to our true nature. Boundless, compassionate, cognizant, and luminous. It is unborn and never dies. This is the true nature of reality, who we really are. These five remembrances open the door for us to all experience this truth. This is a portal. It's an entry point. When we study and contemplate these teachings, bring them in our hearts to our meditation cushion. Feel the truth of them. Our hearts open. And the teachings become alive. Our self-centeredness transforms into generosity, loving kindness, and compassion as we realize what is true and real. This world, our life, becomes a Buddha field. And these five remembrances become a poem of liberation. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.